Welcome back to Cherry Avenue True Crime Podcast. Quick reminder that new episodes come out on the 15th and the 30th with mini bonus episodes occasionally thrown out in between. So please hit subscribe so you don't miss anything. Today's case and movie is The Last Hangman, which is based on the life and career of Albert Pierpoint, who was one of the head executioners in the UK between 1931 and 1956. It is estimated he executed between 435 and 600 people. 200 of these were war criminals right after World War II. We will cover the movie, the real story of Pierpoint, and some of the infamous murderers that he executed. The movie is The Last Hangman. It's a 2005 movie that I found on Amazon Prime. It stars Timothy Spall, Juliet Stevenson, and Eddie Marson. Pentonville Prison, London, 1932. The movie starts with a group of young men taking a tour of the facilities. They are first taken into the lobby area of the execution wing. One of the men jokes about the coat hooks on the wall there and how the prisoner won't be needing them. Then they are taken into the cell. It's the cell where the prisoner will spend a minimum of three Sundays there after they are executed. That is the law, their guide tells them. This is where the prisoner eats, sleeps, and waits. Waits for one fine morning when one of you comes in at 9 a.m. The next door leads to the hanging room. He gives them a demonstration of the lever pull for the trap door opening the drop. He tells them that the heavier the man, the shorter drop you give him. The weaker the neck, the shorter the drop. Get it wrong, you'll pull his head off. Then he turns to Pierpoint and says, Male, 24 years old, 5'6", 160 pounds in his clothes. Pierpoint asks what his occupation is, and the guide tells him he is a manual laborer. Pierpoint says, A good strong neck. Then he looks at his paper and says, The table says 6'3". I'd give him 6'11". So would I, the guide says. Good. Very good. On the way home, Pierpoint stops by a shop, and he awkwardly tries to ask the shop assistant out, but is interrupted at least twice. She understands what he is trying to do, and just before he leaves, she says she would love to. How about the pictures on Saturday night? They agree to meet up at 7 p.m. on Saturday. On another evening, there is a letter waiting for Albert Pierpoint when he gets home. An official letter, but it will have to wait until dinner is over. During dinner, his mother asks him why he wants to do it. Why now? He tells her he knew it was always in him. He says he just knew it would come out someday. You'll have no luck, Albert, not as long as you live, she tells him. And I'll say to you what I said to your father. You don't bring it over that threshold. He nods his agreement. Albert's uncle comes over, and his mom leaves him with his uncle to open the letter together. He reads it and says, I've been accepted, Uncle Tom. Your dad would have been proud of you, Albert, he assures him. No doubt about it. It's what he would have wanted. Another peer point on the list. Albert points to the letter and tells him that they offered him a job. Strange Ways Prison, Anthony David Farrow, Tuesday the 26th. He reads further and then says, I'm going to be assisting. The movie cuts to Pierpoint and the man he is assisting named Sykes. They are looking in on the cell. Sykes tells him that the prisoner doesn't look like much. He then says, 
got 6-6 six, six in my mind, but I'll have to look it up in me book. Pierpoint takes a look through the slot in the door. They go into the hanging room through a different route, inspect the rope, and make sure everything is ready. Then they are in another room spending the night before the hanging in the morning. Smoking a cigarette, Sykes says, Eight hours, twenty minutes, Albert. That's all he's got left. Ticking away. He gets involved with some old tart. She pushes him over the edge. He winds up in here waiting for us to come knocking on his door. Don't bear thinking about, does it? I wonder if he's looking at his watch. Albert says, I don't think 6-6 six, six is enough. He is a slight lad, but he is stronger than he looks. I think you should give him 6-8. Six, 6-6, eight. Six, 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 eight. it doesn't really matter, does it? Either way, he's going down. It's the next day. The bell is tolling, and the men are walking to the cell to knock on the prisoner's door. Sykes is breathing shakily, and he tugs on Pierpoint's coat. They go in, and the prisoner Pharaoh is praying, God, forgive me. The prisoner gets up and turns to Sykes, still saying over and over again, God, forgive me. Sykes is frozen, looking Pharaoh in the eye. Pierpoint goes around him and spins the prisoner around, the way they were taught, and gets the hand restraints from Sykes to put on. Please, Pharaoh begs to Sykes, please help me. Pierpoint takes over because Sykes has completely frozen. Follow me, he tells the prisoner. He gets him in position and puts the white hood over his face, puts the rope around him, and Pharaoh is begging quietly, Please, please wait. Pierpoint moves swiftly as they were taught not to prolong the agony for the prisoner or for themselves. Pharaoh is secured in the rope, he pushes the lever, and the drop happens. On the way out, Sykes questions what they have just done, killing a man. He turns and hands Albert his envelope and says, Here, you take the money, you did all the work. Albert protests, but Sykes tells him he is to have his money as well as his own because he doesn't want it. A note aside to my listeners here. Anthony David Farrow appears to be a fictional character used to move the movie along and show how Pierpoint was a very competent executioner. There was a hanging that Pierpoint was assistant to where the newly appointed lead executioner became confused with his calculations of the drop length, and Pierpoint saved the day advising on the correct measurements. Soon after this, Pierpoint was added to the list of lead executioners. In the movie, when Pierpoint gets home, his mom tells him that she made him a nice chop, and she'll warm it up for him. He gets out a book, a ledger of sorts, with his name engraved on the cover, Albert J. Pierpoint. He writes in this the date, name, and other particulars of the execution. Time goes on, and he is dating the nice young woman from the shop. Soon we see they have married, and she is the one making the pork chops for him when he comes home and writes in the book. He is about to write the tenth name in his book. At the pub, Pierpoint has a friend called Tish, and this friend calls him Tosh. They do a sort of singing act together after a few pints. Apparently, they do this often. Tish has a girlfriend who is quite striking, and Albert admires her, but he knows she sees other men. Being an executioner is his side job. Pierpoint's main job is running a grocery delivery service. Albert leaves on his next trip and has to take a train to the prison. Mrs. Pierpoint goes to work and is asked where her husband is going this time. She says it is private business. Then she sees a newspaper at work and catches the news item about a Dorothea Waddingham and her appeal failing. It says that her sentence of death will be carried out at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning at Holloway Prison in London. We next see Albert looking in the prison slot at Dorothea Waddingham. 8-6, he says out loud. 
Over dinner, his assistant tells him that she killed two old ladies, had them make out their will to her, and then gave them morphine. Waddingham was convicted of murdering Louisa Baguli, 89, and her daughter Ada, who had multiple sclerosis, or what was known as creeping paralysis back then, by using morphine to poison them. They were patients at her home nursing house. To compensate Waddingham for their care, a will was made out that left their estate to Dorothea Waddingham and her partner, Ronald Sullivan. Louisa Bogoli died two weeks later, and Ada that September. The next morning, they carry out the execution. Later, we see Albert with the assistant executioner undoing the hand and leg restraints on the hanging body, and then undressing it, washing it, and covering it with a sheet after. Albert inspects his handiwork by moving the neck around. He says out loud, Nice and clean, second and third vertebrae, we don't hurt them, instant. After the movies one night, Pierpoint and his wife run into Tish and his girlfriend Jesse. Pierpoint is friendly, but his wife is a little frosty with Jesse. Later we find out why. Mrs. Pierpoint intimates that the girlfriend Jesse is married with kids, and it's not right for her to be out and about with Tish in public like this. On his next execution, Pierpoint tells the assistant that he wants to beat 13 seconds. He tells him that was his father's average. He does beat it, and in fact sets a new record of seven and a half seconds. One of the officials present at the execution tells Pierpoint, I don't mind telling you, I don't think there is a better man in the country. Albert Pierpoint is out at the movies with his wife when a newsreel comes on. It is covering the Belson War criminals. Joseph Kramer, known as the Beast of Belson, is pictured. Pierpoint is brought in for a meeting with Field Marshal Montgomery, who tells him he is considered the best, and with the eyes of the world on them, he needs the best. They discuss how Pierpoint's method is clean and kills quickly. Montgomery tells Pierpoint that he is the man for him. Pierpoint goes home to tell his wife all about the meeting and that he will be flying to Germany. He arrives on base and is given a list of the condemned for the next day. There are 13 on the list. 13 to be executed in one day. 47 by the end of the week. There will be more, he is told. They give him a military assistant, Lieutenant Llewellyn, who hands him binoculars and through them points out the ones to be executed. Joseph Kramer, of course, the Beast of Belson. Lieutenant Llewellyn tells him that he used to stand on his balcony and take pot shots of the poor buggers just for the fun of it. Older fellow, he says. That's Fritz Klein, Dr. Death, we call him. Did all the experiments, he says. The young woman to the right, that's Irma Grass. Used to walk around the camp with a bullwhip. Pierpoint interrupts him. We are not interested. We don't care what they have done. They are human beings and they have to die. That is all we need to know. When you are working with me, you are concentrating on height, weight, and physical condition. That way we get the job done quickly and efficiently. They proceed to where the war criminals are in line and are being measured and weighed one by one while they write down the information. Pierpoint tells Llewellyn that they will hang the men in twos, but the women will be one by one. They had been told that they had to let them hang for an hour before cutting them down, but Pierpoint says it has to be cut down to 20 minutes or they won't get it all done. They move on with Irma Gress being the first of the women to hang. Then they proceed on with the others one by one until they get to the men. Later, taking a break by themselves, smoking cigarettes, Lieutenant Llewellyn tells Pierpoint that it is strange. 
He thought that this would be a piece of cake, knowing what these people have done. Standing with them on the gallows, both knowing what is going to happen, it is not that easy. Then they have to get on and continue with the executions. We see scene after scene of men, two at a time, hoods put over them, then nooses, and then the levers pulled. Sometime later, Pierpoint arrives back in England. He finds reporters with cameras asking him how it went and how many he dropped. He asks his wife about this when he gets in the house. She tells him he has been in the papers and they talked about him on the wireless by name, reporting on where he has been and what he has been doing. Albert doesn't like this at all. He doesn't think he should be famous for doing what he does. He is cheered on the streets and in the pubs, someone saying, Good luck to you, Mr. Pierpoint. Another says, Keep up the good work, Albert. String them all up, I say. Nazi swine. Later at home, he talks with his wife about maybe giving the second job up, the executioner job. He shows her a newspaper article with his picture and the headline, Avenging Angel. He tells her it is not right. What he does is private. Now everybody knows about it. She says that maybe he is right. With the money he brought back from Germany, plus the money they have saved up, she figures they could take over a lease on the pub that is coming open. He says they have no experience. They don't know how to run a pub. He says they don't even know how to drum up customers. His wife tells him that she figures there are a few people out there that would like to buy a pint off the man who hanged the Beast of Belson. That makes him think. They end up doing it. But Pierpoint is not done yet. The next scene is him with his assistant staying in the room used for the night before execution. His assistant is telling him that Evans, the one being executed the next day, keeps going on and on about how it was some other fellow who done it. Timothy Evans was the man that John Christie framed as the murderer for his wife and baby, when it was really John Christie himself that murdered them, and later went on to murder other women. This would not be found out until three years later, when John Christie was found to be a serial killer, and that Timothy Evans was an innocent man. As Pierpoint is leaving the prison after the execution, he sees a group demonstrating outside about abolishing capital punishment. Everything is feeling very heavy on him as he goes to the pub they now run. He takes some time by himself before sucking it up and joining his wife and the crowd at the pub. People cheer for him and he thanks them. Once things quiet down, Albert notices that his old pal Tish is very quiet and looks quite sad. Tish tells him that he and the girlfriend broke up because she was messing him about. He bought her a ring and everything, he tells Pierpoint, but she was messing him about. What more can a man take, he asks. Later in the evening, Tish gets up and sings a song about a jealous heart and how because of a jealous heart, he is the one who is alone. After that sad song, Pierpoint tries to get Tish to sing something cheerful and lively with him. Pierpoint and some other friends are still trying to get Tish to do it when in walks Tish's old girlfriend, Jessie, with some other guy. Tish gets up and goes over to them. Jessie says, oh God, here he is. The guy she is with says, this is him, pointing at Tish. You are to keep away from her. She doesn't want you hanging around, following her, staring at her window, okay? You keep away from her. She's with me now. Jessie tells Tish that she is going away with this guy, her and the kids, somewhere he won't be able to follow them. Tish tells her he has to talk to her. He tells her he loves her, Jessie, and he touches her arm. The boyfriend punches Tish. Albert tries to break it up, tells them that is enough. The guy punches Tish again and Tish falls to the ground. 
Albert tells him to stop or he will call the police. The boyfriend says he's done and figures Tish has the message now. Albert tells them they both need to leave. Jesse says she's not going anywhere. It was him that was bothering her, and he had it coming. Albert goes to put his arm around her to escort her out, but she shakes him off and says, Get your hands off me. I'm not having them on me after what they've done. Annie, Pierpoint's wife, gets upset now and tells her, Right, that's enough. Get out. Jesse says to her, I don't know how you can stand it, him touching you. They're covered in blood, his hands. That's what they are, filthy with it, both of you. She takes her handbag and then leaves. After the pub is closed, Pierpoint is sitting with Tish. Tish says he even prays about it, asking God to help him forget her. Albert tells him that is the best thing he can do is forget about her. A few days later, Pierpoint is taking bottles out when a woman comes up to him and says, Albert Pierpoint, I know you from your photographs, she tells him. Please save him. Please save my boy. He was a good boy, my Jimmy. Pierpoint tells her he doesn't know what she's talking about, but she persists. Pierpoint says, I'm sorry, madam, I won't be there. You have the wrong man. The next day, he gets a notice that he will be executioner for James Henry Corbett. When he gets to the prison for this execution, he is told by an official that the prisoner claims to know him. He says he's a friend of yours. Pierpoint tells him he doesn't know anyone by the name of James Corbett. Then Pierpoint hears the prisoner singing. It's the song from the pub that Tish sang, the one about the jealous heart. Pierpoint goes to the door and looks in through the slot and sees it is Tish. He doesn't let on to his assistant. He just starts to say the measurements. Uh, six foot, um, uh, six foot six or something. Later in the room that the executioners stay in, he gets upset when their dinner is cold ham and salad. He tells them they are supposed to have a hot dinner. That is in their entitlement. Pierpoint's assistant doesn't know why he is so upset about the dinner. Later, he has a restless night and nearly no sleep. This time, when he goes in, he is rattled. He is jangling the restraints in his hand. He is having a hard time putting them on Tish. Tish says to him, Hello, Tosh. It takes Pierpoint a few seconds, but he finally manages a slight smile and says, Hello, Tish, old pal. Tish smiles at him. Albert says, I'm sorry, lad. You're going to have to turn around. After he is done putting the hand restraints on him, he says, Come with me now, lad. You'll be all right, Tish. Come on now. I'll look after you. They walk forward. Come on, lad. Before he puts the hood over his head, Tish says, Thank you, Albert. This time, it takes Pierpoint a few moments before pulling the lever. It's different for him. Much harder doing the cleanup afterwards. He goes home drunk. His wife wants to warm up dinner, but he says he doesn't want anything. She's trying to be pleasant, and he says, Why don't you ask me why I've been drinking after like my dad used to? She ignores this and tries to tell him about the night the pub had. He interrupts her and says, Do you want to know what I have did today, Annie? He grabs his book. I hanged Tish. James Henry Corbett. You know, we never knew that was his name. He murdered Jessie, you know. He followed her to Liverpool, hands around her throat. He can't have her. She shakes her head. Don't you want to know about it? Don't you want to know what he said? Don't you want to know what it felt like to take a friend and do that to him? And what is it for? For the money? Annie tells him to stop. They don't talk about it. She doesn't want to talk about it. He says, well, I want to talk about it now. They have a little breakdown together. 
Albert crying, and then his wife. That night, Albert has a dream about a scarecrow. When he lifts the hood off the scarecrow, it is Tish, and he is alive. Now we go to what looks like a huge execution. There are black and white newsreels of people filling the streets and standing on the corners. Pierpoint is in the prison and approaching the room the prisoner is in. It is a woman with blonde hair. Pierpoint continues his work in his usual professional manner, with only his face giving indication of how conflicted he feels. It is Ruth Ellis. She was the last woman to be hanged in the UK. She shot her lover dead and tried to turn the gun on herself, but it jammed. This took place outside, and an off-duty policeman arrested her immediately. There was a huge protest outside the prison the day of execution. In the car driving out afterwards, people recognized Pierpoint, and they surrounded the car and called him a murderer. Annie is at home listening to the radio coverage of this, and she is crying. Later, while eating dinner, they have another talk about him taking his name off the list. He writes a letter of resignation and requests his name to be taken off the list of executioners. The movie goes dark, and words come across the blackened screen. Between 1933 and 1955, Albert Pierpoint hanged 608 people. Then there is a quote from Albert Pierpoint in 1974. The fruit of my experience has this bitter aftertaste. Capital punishment, in my view, achieved nothing except revenge. The End In real life, the first thing we need to go over is Pierpoint's friend Tish. There really was a James Henry Corbett that Pierpoint knew as Tish. The woman he killed was Eliza, not Jessie. At the time of the murder, 37-year-old James Corbett was separated from his wife and his 11-year-old son. He had a mistress named Eliza Woods who had been seeing other men as well as him. In August 1950, he strangled Woods in a hotel room in Lancashire. Her body was found the next morning with the word whore written on her forehead. Corbett pled guilty but insane. The Crown maintained the crime was premeditated and they had diary entries Corbett had written well in advance of the killing. In his memoirs, Executioner Pierpoint, Pierpoint wrote about Corbett's execution. I thought if any man had a deterrent to murder poised before him, it was this troubadour whom I called Tish. He was not only aware of the rope, he had the man who handled it beside him singing a duet. The deterrent did not work. In the movie, Albert Pierpoint was the lead executioner for Dorothea Waddingham. In real life, Dorothea Waddingham's execution was in 1936, and Albert Pierpoint was the assistant executioner. His uncle Thomas Pierpoint was the lead. Dorothea Waddingham was the woman who used morphine to kill the elderly woman and her disabled daughter, who were totally at her mercy. Albert assisted in quite a few executions in the 1930s, where his uncle was the lead. It wasn't until October 1941 that Albert was first the lead executioner. Pierpoint really did go to Germany and Austria and hanged more than 200 war criminals. One of the worst was Joseph Kramer, notorious for his cruelty. He was dubbed the Beast of Belsen by camp inmates. Kramer was a German Nazi war criminal directly responsible for the death of thousands of people. Irma Gress, whom some reports say was Joseph Kramer's lover, was an SS guard at Nazi concentration camps and served as warden of the woman's selection of Bergen-Belsen. Fritz Klein was a German Nazi doctor and war criminal hanged for his role in the atrocities during the Holocaust. 
His quote, my Hippocratic oath tells me to cut out a gangrenous appendix out of the human body. The Jews are the gangrenous appendix of mankind. That's why I cut them out. One of the executions shown in the movie was of Timothy John Evans. He was wrongfully accused of murdering his wife Beryl and infant daughter Geraldine at their residence in Notting Hill, London. In January 1950, Evans was tried and convicted and executed in March of the same year. During his trial, Evans accused his downstairs neighbor, John Christie, who was the chief prosecution witness, of committing the murders. Three years after Evans' execution, Christie was found to be a serial killer who had murdered several other women in the same house, including his own wife, Ethel. Before his execution, Christie confessed to murdering Mrs. Evans. Although not shown in the movie, Albert Pierpoint also executed John Christie, John Reginald Holiday Christie, known to his family and friends as Reg Christie. He was a serial killer and alleged necrophile. He murdered at least eight people, including his wife Ethel, by strangling them in his home at 10 Rylington Place. When Christie moved out of Rylington Place in 1953, the bodies of three of his victims were discovered hidden in a wallpaper-covered alcove in the kitchen. Two other bodies were discovered in the garden, and his wife's body was found beneath the floorboards in the front room. Two of Christie's victims were Beryl Evans and her baby daughter Geraldine, who, along with Beryl's husband Timothy Evans, were tenants at 10 Rylington Place during 1948 to 1949. Some other notable criminals that Pierpoint executed but were not featured in the movie are Gordon Frederick Cummins, who's a British serial killer known as the Blackout Killer, the Blackout Ripper, and the Wartime Ripper, who murdered four women and attempted to murder two others over a six-day period in London in February 1942. He is also suspected of committing two earlier murders in October 1941. I did a mini-episode about this one, and it is the one just before this. John George Hay, commonly known as the Acid Bath Murderer, was an English serial killer convicted for the murder of six people, although he claimed to have killed nine. Hay battered to death or shot victims and disposed of their bodies using sulfuric acid, before forging their signatures so he could sell their possessions and collect large sums of money. His actions were the subject of the television film A is for Acid. In December 1932, Pierpoint, 27, went with his Uncle Thomas to Dublin and assisted in his first execution. His Uncle Tom had been contracted for the hanging of Patrick McDermott, a young Irish farmer who had been accused of murdering his brother. Tom was able to choose his own assistant and took Pierpoint with him. His uncle emphasized the importance of traveling incognito, especially in the Irish Republic where the British were widely despised. The execution was at Mount Joy, and Pierpoint's job was to follow behind the prisoner to position, bind the prisoner's legs together, then move back off the trapdoor before the lead executioner pulled the lever. He was assistant to quite a few executions with his uncle and was particularly impressed with his uncle's approach and demeanor, which were professional and discreet. He also liked Tom's advice, if you can't do it without whiskey, don't do it at all. In July 1940, Pierpoint was assistant at the execution with a newly promoted lead executioner. The day before the execution, Stanley Cross, lead executioner, became confused with his calculations of the drop length, and Pierpoint stepped in to advise on the correct measurements. Pierpoint was added to the list of head executioners soon after that. Antonio Babe Mancini was Pierpoint's first execution as the lead executioner. Antonio was a gangland killer. 
The 39-year-old son of Italian immigrants, Antonio Babe Mancini, ran the Palm Beach Bottle Party Club in the basement at 37 Wardour Street in London, Soho. His victim was said to be a rival gang member, and the scuffle that led up to the stabbing is said to have been over a turf war. Albert Pierpoint was born on March 30, 1905. He was the third of five children and the eldest son of Henry Pierpoint and his wife Mary. Henry had a series of jobs, including butcher's apprentice, clog maker, and a carrier in a local mill. Money was a problem, and Henry's heavy drinking didn't help. Henry was on the list of official executioners starting in 1901. Payment was made only for individual hangings. In July 1910, Henry was removed from the list after arriving drunk at a prison the day before an execution. Henry's brother Thomas, Albert's uncle, became an official executioner in 1906. In 1917, the Pierpoint family moved to Failsworth near Oldham, Lancashire. Henry was ill and unable to work. Pierpoint left school and began to work at the local Marlborough Mills to support the family. Henry died in 1922, and Pierpoint was given his father's exercise books and execution diary. In the 1920s, Pierpoint left the mill and became a drayman for a wholesale grocer delivering goods ordered through a traveling salesman. By 1930, he had learned to drive a car and a lorry to make his deliveries. He later became manager of the business. In 1932, he assisted his uncle with his first execution, and you know the story from there. Alfred Pierpoint lived until the age of 87, passing away in July of 1992. Stay tuned after the music for the bonus movie names. The bonus movie names for today are as follows. The first one is A is for Acid. It's a 2002 movie that I found on Amazon Prime. It stars Martin Clune, Keely Hawes, Richard Hope, and Celia Ermey. A is for Acid is a film based on the life of the serial killer John George Hay, known as the Acid Bath Murderer, because he dissolved the bodies of six people in sulfuric acid. Hay, hanged in 1949 for his crimes, had wrongly believed that murder could not be proven without the presence of a body. The other movie is 10 Rylington Place. It is a 1971 movie that I found on Tubi and Amazon, starring Richard Attenborough, Judy Geeson, and John Hurt. Based on the real-life case of the British serial killer John Christie and what happened to his neighbors, Tim and Beryl Evans. Thank you again for listening. If you would like to support this podcast, please share with a friend or share on social media. You can find me at Twitter at Avenue Crime, also on Instagram, Cherry Avenue True Crime. As always, be safe. The sources for today's episode will be listed in the show notes and are as follows. Joseph Kramer, Wikipedia. Britannica, Joseph Kramer, Nazi Commander. Pictures That Changed the World, Dr. Fritz Klein in a Mass Grave. BelfastChildIs.com Beast of Belson and His Lover in Nuremberg Exhibit, UK News, The Guardian A Soho Stabbing, True Crime Library Waddingham, Dorothea, 1899-1936, Encyclopedia.com Albert Pierpoint, Wikipedia ExecutedToday.com, 1945, The Belson War Criminals 
dailymail.co.uk news article, British hangman sent beasts belson hell, HTML. 17 October 1941, Antonio Mancini, execution of the day, wordpress.com.